Hey folks, welcome to the Profiles Podcast presented by LL Flooring. I'm Tom Kreitler. And if you work in the building, remodeling, design, or decor businesses, this show is about pros just like you. It's where we seek out and interview extraordinary individuals who are running great businesses and willing to share some tips and tricks that are making a difference in the lives of their customers, their communities, and their employees. If you have a tip you'd like to share or a comment or a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, please reach out. You can email us at profiles at llflooring.com. That's profiles at llflooring.com. And you can also follow our episodes on the LL Flooring Pro portal at llflooring.com slash pro. And now, let's get to work. By any measure, John Galena is one extraordinary individual. John was a successful new home builder who served in the North Carolina National Guard and when duty called, was deployed to Iraq. And it was there that tragedy struck. While clearing a route to Fallujah, John's unit struck two anti-tank mines, which left John with traumatic brain injuries and back injuries, and his friend and fellow soldier, Dale Beatty, a double amputee. John and Dale returned to the U.S. as disabled veterans, and over time, they became acutely aware of the lack of badly needed services that vets had to have to live normal, productive lives. So they did something about it, and they started Purple Heart Homes, a nonprofit organization that provides housing assistance for service-connected vets, and have thus far completed over 750 projects for vets across the nation. John, thank you for your service, and welcome to the Profiles podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on the show. So, John, tell me about Purple Heart Homes. Who is the organization, and what exactly do you guys do? Purple Heart Homes is a 501c3 nonprofit. We assist service-connected disabled veterans with their housing needs. And, you know, we come back from Iraq and saw that there was a great need for a lot of older veterans to be able to have accessibility in their homes. And so now we go in and remodel bathrooms and widen doorways, provide uh, needs for accessibility to disabled veterans. So tell me, John, how did you guys get started with Purple Heart Homes? I understand you started with uh, Dale Beatty, who has passed away. Uh, You guys are veterans. You served in Iraq with honor. And when you got home, you discovered a need. So tell me about that need. Well, while Dale and I were in Iraq, our vehicle struck two anti-tank mines while doing a route clearance uh, into Fallujah. And in the process, uh, Dale come home as a double amputee. I come home with traumatic brain injury and back injuries. We were started to realize uh, more personally the accessibility needs that veterans face when they returned home. Our community stepped up to help Dale build a house that was uh, accessible and met his needs as a double amputee. And when the home was finished, we stood back and we realized just how many Vietnam veterans and, and other veterans from past wars were present there helping us. And as a general contractor myself, I uh, said, you know, hey, this is something that we could uh, we could we could expand and replicate. And so we started looking at other veterans and their living conditions, and realized that a lot of amputees were crawling into their bathrooms. They couldn't get through the doorway; it just wasn't wide enough. Uh, a lot of amputees had carpeting in their in their homes, which is a trip hazard, and it's really tough to uh, navigate with a wheelchair. So we started uh, looking for partners and supporters to be able to renovate those homes. Uh, we're using you know, volunteers and uh, community support. And now we have a charity that works nationwide and has 
renovated over 750 homes. Now, back when you started the organization, were there no other similar organizations out there that were helping disabled vets to improve their housing situations? Some of the challenges that we saw, Tom, as we as we started the charity was that most organizations that were present and, and working in the nonprofit market space were there supporting only post-9-11 veterans and only the ones that were most severely injured. And there's a lot of uh, veterans that, that served that may not have served during wartime, but maybe they suffer from Parkinson's disease where they you know have a, a challenge walking on uh, flooring types like carpet. And so we... Uh, you know, we want to help those veterans too. We want to help those Vietnam veterans. You know, the same thing. You know, whether they're suffering from an amputation or whether they're suffering from debilitating illnesses caused by Agent Orange that you know might put them in a wheelchair or make their mobility a little more dif- difficult due to cancer and things of that nature. That's amazing. You know, we do tend to focus on, I guess, the most recent war, correct? But we don't hear a lot about servicing for those veterans from World War II or Korea or, or Vietnam. I understand that you recently completed your 750th project where you added a roof and a ramp and some new floors for a veteran who served in Vietnam. So, I mean, that's fantastic. I think we need more focus on, on the aging veteran population. That's right. And while, um, while Mr. Adams is uh, you know, 78 years old, he is, he's not an amputee, but he uses a walker. And, and those, uh, you know, variations in, in walking surfaces make a big difference. Having uh, steps to navigate are, are a huge uh, obstacle for him. And uh, certainly uh, things like uh, roofing, you know, repairs where uh, many of our elder and senior veterans are on fixed incomes. Having a, a, a roof that leaks, causing mold and things of that nature can, can really be a health hazard. So we want to address those issues as well. Well, 750 homes is an amazing accomplishment. I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but how big is the need to provide housing assistance for veterans? Can you help us put it in perspective for our audience? Tom, I tell you, I never had a full understanding when I was uh, you know, deploying into, into combat just what life was going to be like after and and you, know, you think you you deploy into you know a combat theater, you're going to come home and and you're going to go back to work and be successful. But there's so many variations of injury and so many variations of of need and the struggles. And and we hear a lot about homelessness and just how many homeless people there are out there. Uh, and there's not a lot of focus on you know what the needs are for those that have a home. But we receive between three to five applications a day from veterans that have need of critical home repairs. And and they range from ramps to bathrooms to leaky roofs to no air conditioning or no heat. And and when you're living in Alaska and you're using an open flame heater and it's 40 degrees below zero, that's a a critical need. When you're living in in Southern California and, and it's 109 degrees, and you have no air conditioning and you're 70 years old, that's a critical need. And so the, the need is so vast and, and so widespread, it's, it is truly hard to quantify. But there are you know, upward of, of 3 million service-connected disabled veterans that live in our country. Those are veterans that were injured in the line of service doing their duty for our nation to provide freedoms for our country and many others around the world. And they're unable to live a life, as often we say, you know, 
to find the American dream, which I believe is simply qualified as a, a peaceful place to live. And when your home is in disrepair and when you can't navigate your home or you can't get in out the front door, that's that's not peace. Wow. Well, thank God there are organizations like you've formed and people like you to help some of these veterans. Now you say there's 3 million veterans that need this type of assistance. Are there no federal programs to assist them? Is there situations where there are programs but veterans are unaware of it? I mean, there, there always is a social service sort of part to doing this work where there are benefits that are available, but veterans just don't have the advocates to fight for it or help them cut through the paperwork. Tom, I really think it's a, a kind of a two-part uh, answer there to your question. And, and first, I'd just like to say uh, it, is a, it is a social issue as a, as a whole. And, and we as citizens are the ones that receive the benefits uh, of, and the freedoms that, that our you know, American troops have fought for and, and have sacrificed for. And I believe that we owe it to them as people to, and as citizens to be able to support them in their time of need. And, and we can do that with critical home repairs. And, and it's, not, it's not just Purple Heart Homes that's out doing that work. There's, there's hundreds of other organizations that do great work. But beyond that, it's the volunteers. It's the individuals that go out and, and come alongside us and put in the sweat and the, the donations to be able to make it happen. And, and so we're grateful for that. I uh, could not do it on my own no matter, no matter how much I could have ever tried, you know, with I might have gotten seven homes done, but the 750 that you know plus that have been completed through Purple Heart Homes has been because of the efforts of of the common citizen that's come alongside and said we want to we want to support those who have served. As for the need as a whole and where the government support is is at, um, there are programs through the VA and through HUD that provide for both funding and support for critical home repairs and things like ramps. But oftentimes the, the need is so great that even, even our government programs can't keep up the backlog to get a ramp. Uh, we helped one veteran in Hawaii with a ramp uh, about two years ago, and, and he was on a waiting list for nine months to receive a ramp from the VA. And we were able to go out with private donations and volunteers and provide him a ramp in three weeks. And, and so... You can imagine being 80 years old and coming home from the hospital and needing a ramp so you can get in and out of your home on your own and, and having to wait you know, that long. And, and so it, it becomes a challenge. And the other part of it is, as you alluded to, uh, there's both an awareness issue and a little bit of pride, in, particularly in our Vietnam generation. Many of the Vietnam veterans, when they come home, they did not receive a warm welcome. And therefore, they decided that they would—they didn't want anything to do with the VA or anything to do with any government support, and and so they never enrolled in the in the Veterans Administration in order to be able to receive those benefits. And so now, in, as seniors, when they go and try and enroll 50 years after they got out of service, it takes time to get them into the system where they can receive those benefits. And if you're suffering from Agent Orange and, and a heart condition and cancer and, and diabetes and maybe a, a loss of limb due to the diabetes, waiting for a year or two years to get enrolled into the system so you can get access to the ramp, it's just too long. The system is, is flooded with you know, nearly 2 million plus uh, service members that have served in Iraq and Afghanistan over the course of the last uh, 15 plus years now. So 
there there's some flaws there which leave gaps that open the door for opportunity for charities like Purple Heart Homes to step in and support in a in a very meaningful and impactful way. I'm talking to John Galena. He is the CEO and co-founder of Purple Heart Homes, an organization that's dedicated to providing housing solutions for service-connected, disabled, and aging veterans. John, you mentioned that uh, you had some remodeling experience. Were you a remodeler before you went into the service? I was a new home uh, contractor and typically built uh, custom homes and track homes. So how long did you do that? Did you have a a business doing that um, before you went into the service? I did, and uh, I served in the North Carolina National Guard. And so even while I was in the service, uh, doing my weekend duties and my my uh, summer camp duties, I would uh, build homes, you know, just just as anybody else during the normal work week. So I guess when you came home from Iraq, you just, your initial thought was you were going to go back to doing uh, new home construction uh, until you discovered this need. Is that how it happened? Uh, it is, and it was really uh, really kind of interesting. Uh, as I uh, went back into the workplace, I was very fortunate. Um, a gentleman in uh, in Winston Salem had a had a company, and I just didn't really have the the energy, if you will, to start back up in my own business. and And went to work for another contractor, and and he was gracious and and gave me some work. and And I went went to my subdivision, and the first day on my way to the subdivision, I saw a uh, young veteran standing holding a sign saying we'll work for food homeless need help and it just it really caught my attention and for the next six months driving in and out of that subdivision i would see a variety of veterans holding signs and and one day i just you know it clicked with me that i had to do something to be able to help my brothers and sisters in arms that were suffering i started becoming more acutely aware of of the need that they had and and that's the point at which we started studying and, and looking at, you know, why is it that some veterans are getting support and some veterans aren't? Well, now here we are all these years later. You now have over 30 employees. You're, you're headquartered in Statesville, North Carolina, and you have 13 chapters nationwide. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you're organized and, and how you get the work out and the assistance out to veterans that are, are so widely spaced across the country? You, you mentioned examples uh, the example of the veteran in uh, in Alaska who who was heating his home by an open fire. You're over in North Carolina. How do you how are you connecting the dots and and getting the job done? You know, it's uh, really been uh, interesting to say it spreads like wildfire is uh, probably an understatement. But uh, when we join the service, you know, you meet people from all different walks of life from all over the world, and and you develop these friendships and bonds that truly last a lifetime. And in the process. When you help one veteran, that veteran, you know, knows at least ten more that they that they are aware have needs and they share those needs and and the applications just flow in from all over the place. We've received applications from Germany and Australia and Philippines and of course Hawaii and Alaska and so over the course of time, it's really been through that network of veterans that the word has spread. Um, and I find that the American spirit and willingness to serve is as healthy as ever. When they have an opportunity and uh, to serve a veteran and be able to help somebody in need, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many people step up. And sometimes we're even overwhelmed with the amount of support that is uh, that is poured out when you go out and tell a community how a veteran is living and the conditions that they're they're experiencing, and and that there is a need that they can step up and help. How do you form chapters? Are these um, 
individuals that just reached out to you, expressed a desire to serve in this capacity, and and do you provide support for them on starting a chapter? If we have listeners that are in states where you don't have a chapter and they'd like to to get involved, tell me about that process. Well, Tom, it's it's great opportunities like this with Profiles Podcast, where where listeners of this podcast will will hear of the story and hear of the work, and maybe they know of a veteran, a neighbor, or a friend that you know needs some support, and they'd like to get involved. And oftentimes, it, a chapter starts with a simple project: a volunteer stepping up and saying, "Hey, look, I want to help somebody." And after they see the fruit of their labor and realize the impact of helping a veteran with a ramp or helping a veteran have accessibility to a bathroom where they can you know, go in and take a bath by themselves and they get to keep some of their dignity intact and not having to have a caregiver come in and help them in and out of the bathtub, not having to have a caregiver or neighbor come in and carry them in and out the front door because their door is not wide enough to, to, have, to leave their home. And, and people realize the impact, and they say, hey, we want to do this again. And they get two or three more friends together, and next thing you know, they're forming a chapter where they get to do this work with support of our uh, team here out of states of North Carolina and uh, support of all of our systems and, and program support that enable them to be able to do more and, and help the larger part of their community. In most communities, we, we don't just have one veteran. There's a multitude of veterans. Now, you were, you were founded in 2008, and you, you focused initially on aging in place improvements. Is that, is that about right? But, but now you're actually doing a lot more. You now have the Veteran Home Opportunity Project, which encompasses rentals and, and tiny homes and, and home ownership opportunities. Can you talk to me about some of the other opportunities that you have created for veterans since your founding? Just as you said, in 2008, our primary focus was just helping those older veterans that already owned a home be able to have greater accessibility. We soon realized that you know there was a lot of uh, younger veterans and some older veterans that didn't own a home. And one of the stories that I'll never forget was with a veteran, Jimmy Lee. And Jimmy also has since passed. And um, when we first met Jimmy, he was living in Osawatomie. Kansas, and he was living in a travel trailer, a 14-foot travel trailer, him, his wife, and his three dogs, and just broke my heart. Jimmy's a Vietnam veteran, and and when I met Jimmy, he just wanted a safe place to call home, that he didn't have to worry about a tornado carrying it away, that he could get in and out of his bathroom without, you know, bumping up against the walls and bruising his arms, and he had some, some struggles from Agent Orange and and so we worked with a bank that provided a, a home for us that we renovated. They donated the home. We renovated it. And then the way our program works is the veteran gets a mortgage for 50% of the appraised value of the home. The other 50% of the value of the home is donated to the veteran. And so they get to uh, have a little skin in the game, if you will, and process their pride of home ownership is also left intact. And I'll never forget the words that Jimmy spoke to me. still gets me choked up when I think about it. When we were sitting at the closing table and the lawyer brought in that three-inch stack of papers for Jimmy to sign, and him and his wife were sitting there, and and Jimmy looks over at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, I never thought anybody would find me worthy to give me a mortgage. And that that just baffled me. It wasn't just the home. It was the fact that he had a part in providing that home for his family. 
And you see, he had been living in that travel trailer because he was on a fixed income. And the way the mortgages were structured and, and the needs and his credit and his past and and everything from the time he was in the service in Vietnam, coming home, had been a struggle. And and he just wanted, like everybody else, to be a, considered a normal person, to be considered somebody that that could provide for his family, that he could achieve that American dream of having a peace and a safe place to live. I suspect that Jimmy is not alone in that feeling of unworthiness that many veterans, that really is the heart of the problem. I mean, that's where it ends up with all of the things that's happened in their lives since serving and, and coming home and, and struggling. It's almost a state of depression that they find themselves in, not feeling worthy enough to, to get the kind of assistance they truly need. Is that a common sort of feeling that runs through some of your clients? I believe that is the root of post-traumatic stress and what every single veteran that's ever served has some experience with. And it's, it's contrasted with a pride of service and contrasted with, with their training of adapting and overcoming. And, and the problem is uh, all, of, all of that training was relying on the man and woman to your right or left and the support of the unit. But after you get out of the service, you no longer have the support of the unit. It's hard to do on your own. Tell me about the tiny home program. I mean, that's a program. Tiny homes are, are more popular than ever these days. The additional dwelling units is a, is a par- popular element to home sales these days. A lot of folks are looking for homes that have the opportunity for additional units. And then, of course, there's a lot of folks that can't afford a, a larger home but can certainly afford and enjoy a tiny home. How are you guys focusing on tiny homes, and, and what does that program entail? Really, the tiny home movement, I believe, is driven by a couple of factors. Uh, one, the trend uh, of the minimalist mentality of, of less is more, uh, giving you more freedom to enjoy life and nature and travel. Um, another being affordability, the, the time of the mega mansions, you know, I believe, is, is slowly uh, passing away and, and people are no longer looking for those three to 6,000 square foot homes. And so the, the trend there is helping to make it more acceptable for these, uh, you know, smaller-sized homes that are that are certainly more affordable. Uh, the idea that you know a single you know person that may be homeless or or ha- living in in a boarding shelter or uh, living in a transitional shelter or living in a in a friend's living room, you know, is this offers an an opportunity to have something that's their own that's fully accessible, giving them, you know, freedom of movement inside and, and outside of the home. Uh, it doesn't require, you know, the, the cost of uh, land that's, you know, exorbitant when you're talking about, you know, five to ten acres of land or, or, you know, even an acre of land. We can typically put two to three of these homes on one acre of land. And so it, it just, you know, makes a lot of sense for affordability and being able to increase the number of folks that we're able to serve. And, and it's really, you know, an aesthetically appealing uh, product. They're built just like you would have, you would see a home that was built on site, meet all the uh, HUD standards for, for mortgage and, and the ability for, uh, for somebody to have an ownership. It's not like it's a trailer on wheels. It's, um, it's not something you'd pull behind your pickup truck. You know, they're, they're about uh, 500 square feet on average. We can uh, do some customizing 
And uh, with that, it you know again, it's uh, something that the individual can own and have some pride in that ownership. That's amazing, yeah. And I would imagine since the cost is less to construct them, you have the opportunity to do, to do more of these, and certainly you'd be able to do if you had single-family homes. And it's impressive that these are properties that actually banks will invest in that they'll provide mortgages for, because I think that's you know that's an area where a lot of folks that uh, have invested in tiny homes have found challenges because. You know, to the bank, is this a motor home, you know, or is this a, an investable piece of real estate that's locked to the ground it's on? Yeah, this is a, a product, a home product that is on a traditional foundation, a block foundation, just like your home that, that you go out and buy from a custom builder, whether it's a DR Horton or a Pulte or, you know, it's, it's the same same framing, same same siding, same drywall, same same hardwood flooring, everything is, is just like you would you would have in a traditionally built home. You spoke a lot about your chapter organization and the volunteers that serve you, but do you rely 100% on volunteers or do you also use general contractors to help tackle some of the more involved projects? We do rely on general contractors and subcontractors in various regions, both where we have chapters and where, where we don't have chapters or volunteers. You know they're they're professionals in the marketplace. They know the community. They know their products and enable us to be able to execute projects sometimes in a faster manner. And many times, you know, depending on the work that needs to be done, whether it's a heating and air system or whether it's electrical panel upgrades, there are certain licensures that are that are required that we want to make sure are in place so that the work is done correctly. Well, obviously, that takes a investment in those services. So you are sponsor supported. Can you tell me about how your sponsors are able to help you get this work done and, and maybe any stories of, of sponsors in particular that have been uh, really helpful? You know, sponsors are probably one of our most critical uh, components and, and we consider them more partners. Uh, it's less that um, they're just uh, coming in and providing a donation, but uh, more often than not, they network us to the people that can help us execute the mission. They are, you know, groups like LL Flooring who not only help provide us product and discounts and donations, but they also help introduce us to subcontractors that will will install that product and ensure that it's done in a professional manner and, and that's going to serve that veteran well for the lifetime. Can you give us an example of a successful project that uh, you're proud of? I mean, I'm sure you're proud of all your projects and asking you to pick one is like uh, asking uh, for your favorite kid. <laughs> but I mean, can you talk about some of the uh, some of the real noteworthy projects that stand out in your mind? Well, uh, there are so many, Tom. I, you're right. It's it's really tough. Uh, this most recent one with Mr. Adams was was huge down in uh, Charlotte, and and I've got a few others that, you know, I don't get to go to all the projects. Unfortunately, um, there's a great expense. So you know, projects whether they be in Hawaii or Alaska, I, I don't always personally get to uh, get to go to those, no matter how desirable that location might be. Uh, right. But more often than not, the projects in and around the Charlotte market and uh, and in the southeast, I get to uh, go to those ones that I can drive to. There's a couple that stand out. The Christopher family is, is one that stands out and is always in the forefront of my mind. They're both uh, Iraq uh, veterans, and, and uh, both of them received Purple Hearts. They actually met in the Marine Corps. I, uh, I like to... Uh, 
kind of joke about it being, uh, you know, love at first sight in the Marine Corps. But, uh, you know, so so Ben and Ben and Samantha both joined the Marine Corps just after 9-11, and they wound up deploying together. And uh, Ben has uh, multiple deployments. And, uh, you know, after after they were injured and, and they were recovering, they were discharged and from the service, and in the process, uh, they got married. And they were out looking for a home. We had uh, one of our, our homes in the community was being advertised with one of our realtor partners looking for a, a veteran and, and family to be able to uh, put into that home. They they called us. We explained the program to them. And uh, once uh, once we came to an agreement with them and, you know, what, what needs they had in the home, we went in and uh, we were able to renovate that home. And one of the partnerships and, and opportunities that we had was with LL Flooring, uh, where we went in and, and replaced all of the flooring in the home. We worked with uh, another one of our partners, Owens Corning, replaced all of the roof. We went in with another one of our partners, National Gypsum, and did a bunch of drywall work to uh, to finish out the garage. They have a couple of young children and and you know help with just making the the, the yard safe and and giving them the accessibility and support that they needed. And the way the program works is the requirement for the veteran is to live in the home for five years. After the veterans lived in the home for five years, they can do whatever they want with it. And so the Christophers, uh, they didn't really want to be. In that particular neighborhood, they had, you know, a desire to be on a, a larger piece of land and to have a little more uh, seclusion, if you will. And like most veterans, they want to be in a rural area. And so, after five years, and they had completed their part of the agreement, they actually sold the house and were able to, uh, with the support that of what they had uh, gained in the home, were able to buy their dream property. And so they're uh, they're now living on a farm that's over 50 acres that they have uh, started their own kind of charity to be able to support veterans and and doing fishing and and hunting and, and things of that nature and and we see that so often that once we we help a veteran and we get them up on their feet and and we give them the tools and the resources that they need they want to pay it forward and help others with it and and that's what we count as our most successful stories is. It's when other people are helped as as a residual effect. Can you tell me about any uh, business challenges that you've had to overcome? What advice would you give to anyone that's listening who has faced similar situations uh, in developing a, a nonprofit? Oh boy, that's a uh, that's a tough question, here, Tom. There are lots of business challenges uh, in creating a nonprofit. Um, you know, it's uh, certainly. Uh, Certainly, as a, a grunt, as we you know, often refer to ourselves, you're not necessarily keen on writing a business plan. Uh, that's that's <laughs> right. first and foremost. You, you need you need to have a good business plan. But I would say one of the biggest challenges that I think that I see most people struggle with is this idea of of sticking to their plan and doing it on their own. Uh, collaboration is the key. You cannot do it on your own. Uh, while there are literally tens of thousands of nonprofits out there and, and tens of thousands of businesses out there, uh, you can't be in competition with one another. You've got to be willing to work with one another for the greater good and to overcome the cost and the need that is uh, present all around us. 
And so we, you know, we really have to, you know, open ourselves up daily to realize that, um, you know, we, we've got to work together no matter what our differences are, no matter what our competitiveness is, we've got to put all of that aside and realize that we're all focusing on the mission. And our mission is to help provide safe, affordable housing for service-connected disabled veterans. You know, and that is in part why we started the Profiles podcast, because we know that those that are in our industry are fiercely independent, and they not they don't often have the opportunity to learn from each other. And we hope that through vehicles like this and hearing stories like yours and, and others, that uh, we are able to share with each other some of the successes and the lessons that we've learned over time, and, and, and with the goal being that a rising tide sails all ships. And that sounds to me like exactly what you've done, John. You've sailed a lot of ships that were captained by veterans that needed some assistance over the years. What do you think has changed in the construction and remodeling industry over the years that has impacted your business in one way or another? Are some things easier than when you started? That's a really interesting question there. There are a number of changes that have happened uh, both in the industry and in society as a whole. And uh, I'll start with the societal aspect. A protracted uh, time of war has created a great amount of apathy. There is less support today for uh, helping veterans than there was, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, the appetite for war has changed. And consequently, while we still are supportive of our veterans as a whole, there's fewer people that realize that there is a great need still today, as great today as there was, you know, when we were first entering into Operation Iraqi Freedom. And it's not just the men and women that are returning home from the battlefield today that are suffering and in need, but it's the veterans that are suffering from uh, Agent Orange. Still, 50 years after after Vietnam, there are still veterans that are suffering and have need, and some of them just realized or, or just started experiencing some of those injuries, uh, whether it's, again, a heart condition, diabetes, uh, cancer. There's, there's over a dozen different ailments from that one type of injury, that, that one chemical, that, that one moment that they come in contact that, that they, have, they have this lifelong need of support. And so I, I find that, you know, apathy is, is one of our, our greatest combatants and what we are, are just constantly trying to overcome. As the construction market uh, has also changed, whether it's through the, through the bubble bursting in 08 and, and seeing a flood of foreclosures and, and housing needs uh, changing for the nation as a whole, or whether it's um, you know the the rise in cost of materials due to the pandemic, you know there's a a challenge there as well, a shortage of of labor, especially that you know technical and trade labor. We lack as a nation, we lack tradesmen. And while it's been great that you know we've had this focus on you know professional college level uh, job creation, uh, we need tradesmen that are carpenters and and plumbers and electricians and roofing contractors. And so when you go into communities in rural Kentucky and, and rural Michigan and you can't find a, a carpenter or a roofer or a plumber for, for 100 miles, then, then that becomes a challenge when, when you're in need, whether you're just a homeowner or whether you're a veteran that's in need of some critical repairs. 
Absolutely. There's just a huge skills gap in this country. And I know that everyone in the industry is, is aware of it. And there are those that are doing what they can to try to combat it. But, uh, you know, like you say, there's a big opportunity for those that want to get into the trades and there's a lot of financial success and, and you can build a great business and a great life by pursuing these trades. And I think that, uh, in some respects, you're providing opportunities for those that are interested in the trades to, to learn a little bit by working on your projects. Have you had any young men or women that uh, wanted to learn more about construction help with these projects? One, one of my greatest joys is being able to work with high school volunteer groups and being able to see the light bulb go off that not only does uh, hard work pay off, but that they can make a tremendous impact in other people's lives by that hard work that they put out and and being able to see them get interested in, in a variety of, of trades work and be able to get interested in military service, it always warms my heart. Well, you're talking to a former industrial arts teacher here, so I couldn't agree with you more. There certainly was a lot of opportunity. And, and today, you know, it always strikes me that, um, you know, we don't have shop classes so much anymore. You know, we have makerspace and and, and things of that nature, but we're literally graduating kids through schools that in some cases don't know which end of the hammer to hold. And that's, that's sad because there's a lot of opportunity in the trades for folks today and, uh, and it bodes for a very good future if they're aware of it. So to the extent that you're helping do just that, that's fantastic. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad that some of them know which button to push on the 3d printer, but it'd be nice if they knew how <laughs> to need those. use a hammer and nail, right? Absolutely. Well, John Galena, CEO, co-founder of Purple Heart Homes, thank you so much, sir, for the service that you provided to this country and the service that you continue to provide to our veterans from all of our wars to make them happy and healthy and safe uh, in their homes. We owe you a debt of tremendous gratitude, sir, for the work that you and your organization do. It's called Purple Heart Homes. Their website is phhusa.org, phhusa.org. Dot org. If you would like to volunteer on a project, get in touch with Purple Heart Homes. If you would like to invest in the future of this country as a partner, as a sponsor, get in touch with phhusa.org. They need you. They need your help. They need your organization. They need your funds. They need your labor to continue to do the great work that they've accomplished thus far. 750 homes and growing have been improved. 750 veterans' lives have been improved since 2008 by the work of this man and his organization. So reach out and help if you can. John, thank you again so much for your service and commitment to our veterans. Thank you, Tom. We do it all over again. Our veterans and our communities are worth it.